Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Josh Evans. And I'm Brett Chisholm. And on today's episode, we come back from a long hiatus to discuss the invaluable contributions of one naked skydiver to the world of aviation. This man created a tool for keeping the brave members of our military, pilots that is, upright, erect, if you will, while flying. And if you think we're talking about dongs, get your mind out of the gutter. And then get it back in the gutter, because we're talking about dongs a lot in this episode. And then, Brett gets into some darker matters, specifically matters of the multiversal variety, with the Blake Crouch sci-fi thriller, Dark Matter. All of this while watching his language like the good Mormon boy I may have been in an alternate universe where I made slightly different choices. Seriously, nary an F-bomb to be found. Movies, shows, and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims, let their Content becoming yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett, how are you, my friend? Josh, I'm just happy I'm not a Nantucket whaler in the 1800s. <laughs> oh, you listened to that last podcast on the left episode, huh? Yeah, I just all, listened to that too. It's all I've been talking about. I. I'm very what was grateful. the what was the dildo they used the while he's away is that what it was called <laughs> I loved that song about all the women <laughs> that would sing songs about their husbands going away for uh, all but two to three months out of every two year voyage nothing has changed life is just the same as it was 200 years ago I think it's changed so, a little bit <laughs> oh yeah we have the internet and covid. It's great. <laughs> so how have you been, man? I feel like even though I have talked to you between now and the year ago when we recorded last, I feel like I haven't talked to you. So how have you been, man? I've been great. I'm living my best life in Florida at the moment. Uh, my stepmom got her hip replaced. And then uh, three weeks later, my dad got his knee replaced. So I'm very happy to be here and you know doing a couple dishes and... Just kind of helping out, picking up a few things. Uh, but besides that, I'm doing a little bit of skydiving, a little bit of base jumping. I know you're thrilled when your friends get into base jumping. I love it. <laughs> so safe. <laughs> very, very low risk activity. Um, I try to do like one day of parachuting per month. That seems pretty reasonable. And then for work... I'm back in the long haul cargo flying, baby. So, uh, you know, that's what I like to do. I like to put on pajamas and uh, not have to call a flight attendant to lock down the door every time I need to get up and use the bathroom. You like to get long and you like to haul cargo, <laughs> that is. <laughs> I do know that you much rather fly cargo than you would rather fly uh, c customers sitting in the back stinking up your plane. So that's awesome. Yeah, man. I am uh, pretty jealous of your one skydiving uh, day a month or whatever your schedule is because, man, I haven't jumped since uh, November. But I did just uh, sign up to go to uh, one of Andy Malchioti's Echelon events, which is like in skydiving. It's one of the, the most technical formation flying events that exists right now. They're building like 3D formations, like stacked on top of head down flyers, stacked on top of sit flyers. It looks amazing, and I'm going out to that in April. So oh, where's really that? Looking at? forward to like dusting off uh, in uh, Skydive Elsinore, California. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that sounds awesome, man. I'm, well, 
you're the one to tackle those sorts of events. You're definitely a FS vertical formation champion. Literally. Oh, man, I love it. And speaking of uh, skydiving and whatnot, I did just appear on another podcast, uh, Fall Risk is what it's called, and I did a, a two-part interview about skydiving, that uh, competing, all that stuff, and then also tunnel coaching, which was really fun, and it kind of inspired me, and I think you as well, just us talking about it, to want to come back and do the show again. So um, we haven't really, I guess we haven't touched on this yet, but the show is back and we're going to be kind of on a a limited release schedule. We're looking at probably releasing one show a month. And, uh, it's something that you and I both love. And I know this last year for me, I felt like there's been like a hole in my life because we haven't been recording. And so based on availability that we have, we are going to try to bring you guys one show a month and potentially more if we ever get more time. But I want to thank everybody for keeping us in your feed, keeping us subscribed. So, you know, you knew this show came out again. And if you can share this with friends and let people know that the Content Clearinghouse is back, we would appreciate that because I'm sure after a year of not recording, I'm sure a lot of people have just kind of deleted it from the feed. So please share it with your friends now that we're back. Who would ever delete our show from their feed? <laughs> I know I never did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to save it for my content circuit, but I've been listening to Fall Risk. Um, and that's somebody that I know just, um, I would say, more as like a skydiving acquaintance. Uh, we have met a few times at Skydive Twin Cities over the years uh, at, a, at a skydiving event out in Minnesota. Sam Squeezy. Yeah, but squeezy. I also play Pokemon Go with her a little bit off and on when she's on there and I'm on there at the same time. Um, But those two episodes were great, man. Like, it's wild to think I've known you for so long. I worked with you at the wind tunnel for so long, and I've also never heard things about the red overlay that you see in people's flying and the angles and flats and just all the gospel con- uh, concepts that you and Mike came up with. That was some pretty epic skydiving content. So for people that are, you know, skydivers, uh, wind tunnel flyers, which is probably honestly a lot of our audience, they would be really interested in hearing what you have to say. And the other episodes on that show are great. It's, it's unbelievable. I feel like everybody that's been interviewed so far is like either a good friend of mine or somebody that I've met through skydiving, which is really awesome. That's a pretty small community, and you've hung out at her drop zone, so you probably met a lot of her guests. But yeah, the yeah. show is really awesome. I would definitely recommend Fall Risk as a content recommendator. So check it out, Fall Risk, on your favorite podcast app. <laughs> so what's new with you, buddy? Oh, man. I mean, that's pretty much it. Just doing dad stuff. You know, I recently got a uh, a Steam Deck, which is a handheld game system that runs off of steam which is you know like the com- the computer video game aggregate site and uh it is it has totally changed the way I interface with video games because it's essentially a playstation 4 power computer in a handheld platform you can just sit on the couch and play like i've played through witcher 3 which is like a 150 hour game i played through red dead redemption i'm playing through metal gear solid 5 right now all these games that I never really had time to just sit down on my TV and play, but now I can just sit on the couch. I can 
lay in bed and play, which is so awesome. So I'm getting to play through all these like epic single player games now. Uh, but other than that, you know, just doing dad stuff and being super lazy and playing video games, hopefully getting to skydive soon. That's about it. I feel like I'm caught up now. It sounds all pretty steamy. Is this thing like a PlayStation type console or a Nintendo switch where that it's like handheld, but plugs into the TV. Now it's like a switch, but I don't know. I'm sure you could plug it into a monitor, but it's just meant to be used all handheld. It's just a, uh, in, like a super powerful switch style handheld system that can play AAA games with you know high graphical settings wow that sounds awesome yeah it rocks dude that's awesome well man i'm so stoked to be back on the show with you i know it's been a long time coming i think our last episode was about a year ago and if i remember the 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 format correctly uh did you bring an (laughs) off top to the show our off topic discussion oh i did bring you on brett wow you have been doing your homework um well i figured since it's been so long i'd bring us back with an off top that encompasses two things that we are experts on maybe the only two things skydiving and flying planes i figured i'd make this easy for us so let me ask have you ever become spatially unaware while flying? Like just complete lack of spatial awareness? Hmm. Well, if you're so there's I think your question could mean two different things for a pilot. So we have something that's called situational awareness or SA for short, uh, which is just the idea that you know navigationally where the aircraft is. You have an idea of where it's going Um And this could be in any segment of flight, you need to know, you need to have good situational awareness. So not just necessarily geographically, like where you are uh, over the ocean or where you are on an approach or where you are in like a standard instrument departure. Uh, But it could, you know, it also means like, have you finished all the checklists that are needed for that phase of flight? Are you configured? Do you know how fast the aircraft is going? So, So that's situational awareness but then there's sort of another type of awareness which could be you know what the aircraft attitude is and this is something that every pilot that's the one okay okay so um yeah there, there's actually different um illusions and these can be illusions both visually um it can ha- it can be related to whether you're accelerating or deaccelerating. um it could, you know, there. I, I won't remember all the different names of them off off the top of my head, but it's something that even a private pilot, just in case they do end up flying into instrument uh, conditions, you know, if they fly into clouds, even as a private pilot, you're not supposed to do that. But if things happen, um, even a student pilot practices referencing just their instruments, and essentially you're taught to trust your instruments because your body will trick you. Uh, and one of the like very simple examples of this, if you, you know, say, say as a student pilot, you're in the plane with your instructor, he'll have you close, close your eyes and he'll put the plane into a bank, into a turn. Now, at some point, your brain will get used to that turn and you'll feel like you're back in level flight and, you know, you open your eyes, you're still in that turn. Or sometimes they'll give you controls with your eyes closed. You know, they're there, they're keeping you safe. And they'll tell you, okay, you know, put the plane back into straight and level flight. And this is after you've been in a turn for maybe, 
I, I don't know exactly how long it takes for your brain to sort of acclimate to that turn. Maybe 30 to 45 seconds would be my best guess. But then, you know, you put your the plane back into what you think is like a level flight orientation just based on the feeling inside of your head, if you will. You know, it's all based on that fluid in your inner ear. And then you open your mm-hmm. eyes and you're turning the opposite direction because you've your brain's oh, like man. <laughs> calibrated to, you know, this turn and it, it really messes you up. And when you have no reference to instruments, when you're in the clouds and you're banking and turning and climbing and descending, um, you can get all kinds of super weird illusions that uh, could put you in a bad situation if you don't know how to scan your instruments and trust your instruments and get yourself out of that orientation. Actually, let me tell you about one story where this was a textbook. Um, I'm trying to remember the 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 name for this. Um, gosh, I don't. Maybe somatographic illusion. I I, I honestly don't remember, but. The How idea. would I know the difference? You could tell me anything, and I'd believe you. <laughs> okay, so uh, there's an illusion that when you're accelerating, you get the sensation that you're tumbling backwards. And I got this when I flew for, uh, it was two jobs ago. It was at my last cargo operator. I, it, I was flying a 747, and I don't remember if I was pilot monitoring or pilot flying, but I was sitting up front. I was in the right seat as a first officer. And we were on the runway, and it was um, low visibility. I don't remember exactly. This is you know this is five years ish ago. I'm thinking, but we uh, hit the togo buttons to initiate the takeoff roll. The airplane starts accelerating down the runway, and it was absolutely textbook. Uh, I felt like I was tumbling backwards in my seat. It was really really bizarre, and literally my That's mind so just weird. thought you know. We'd like talk, we'd talk about all this stuff. We take tests about like all the names of these and how to recognize them. And, uh, you know, cause there's, there's a, a good solid handful of, of these illusions that you have to be aware of so that, uh, you just know, again, to trust the instruments and not necessarily what's going on inside your head or your body. Um, but I mean, it was absolutely textbook. I felt like I was tumbling backwards in my seat and we were just accelerating down the runway, something that happens on every flight. God, man, flying is so crazy when you when you're not stuck to the ground, when you don't have like a sense of your own weight and, you know, like being firmly planted because like everything about our body is adapted to that. And then as soon as you start going into environments where you're not applying pressure onto the ground with your feet and you, or free fall where you're falling, it seems so easy to get disoriented. And it's interesting to hear how different those things can be in a plane than they are in the sky because i guess in the sky like a skydiving you still you still have the sense of movement in a certain direction and it's it's hard to lose track of that uh it's very easy to get into a tumble and not be able to recover but i feel like in in on a skydive you at least have that constant pull of gravity that's always giving you an indication of where down is so it sounds like losing this kind of spatial awareness can be pretty dangerous in a in an airplane and I found this, uh, this story about how a naked skydive helped inspire a way to keep pilots oriented during flight. And You're this comes from, <laughs> no, I'm not. It comes from a military.com article titled, How a Naked Skydive Inspired a Way to Keep Pilots Oriented During Flight. I just <laughs> stole the, the meat, they stole it right from them. But uh, 
losing spatial awareness in a fighter jet at hundreds of miles an hour can be lethal. And uh, at one point, this loss of awareness was considered a failing on the pilot's parts because I believe, like most things that involve flying, pilots are expected to have superhuman levels of awareness. In fact, that superhero awareness is one of the fringe benefits of any type of aerial pursuit. It's That's the type of zone that makes skydiving so alluring. But flying upside down, rolling an aircraft in clouds or in darkness can make anyone, I mean, even like you just said, sitting on the runway and taking off, no matter how well-trained you are, can lose complete awareness or orientation. And it sounds like a lot of it is there are like specific categories and types of this type of loss of awareness, correct? Yeah, yeah, actually, so I did, I did look it up just briefly. Um, so somatographic... Um, that's one of the most common forms of, it's called a vestibular or false sensation illusion. And that wasn't the one I was talking about. Um, so I did get it wrong. Um, but that is when there's no clear horizon. Um, and so when you're trying to look for some sort of external reference, but you don't have a a clear horizon, the, the one that I was trying to name that I, that occurred to me, it's called the inversion illusion. And it occurs when an abrupt change from climb to straight and level flight causes excessive stimulation of the gravity and linear acceleration sensory organs. So if you have a combination of acceleration, it produces an illusion that the aircraft is inverted or tumbling backwards. That's exactly what happened to me. It felt like I was falling in a chair backwards. So crazy. So there was this guy, Dr. Rupert or Dr. Angus Rupert, uh, of the Naval Aerospace Medical Research Laboratory, and then later he, he worked for the U.S. Army Aeromedical Research Laboratory. He created this thing called the Tactile Situational Awareness System, the TSAS, and it's essentially just a vest that uh, that turns what the pilot can't see into tactile feedback through a series of what's called tactors. There's these devices that inside the vest that basically give a vibration indication to help keep the pilot oriented so uh dr angus rupert got the seeds of this idea in 1974 when he was doing a naked skydive while he was a student at the university of illinois and i'm guessing he figured that with a name like dr angus rupert uh he would he need to up his radicalness game hence the naked skydiving because honestly it's pretty nerdy name and (laughs) he noticed that Having so much air rushing over his exposed skin helped keep him oriented, as this article puts it, while he spun and twisted in midair. And I always love when non-skydivers write about skydiving. It's always about spinning and twisting in midair. And honestly, how much twisting could he have possibly been doing back in 1974? This was the era of round parachutes and gear that was not designed to be flown back to Earth or inverted. I feel like... With the gear of the day, any bit of air rushing over the backside of his rig was like, likely to cause a premature deployment, maybe have killed Dr. Angus Rupert, and we would have never had this uh, <laughs> this great addition to the world of aviation. But uh, luckily for Dr. Uh, Rupert Angus, he didn't have any of these issues, and he survived his bout of spinning and twisting to bring back valuable data that aided him to develop the TSAS system. And essentially the way it works is if the pilot banks too hard one way or the other, the vest will vibrate on that side. You know, it gives them a tactile feedback as the plane is rolling, which is kind of like rumble strips on the highway. In fact, he 
probably could have gotten this idea from rumble strips on the highway without risking the type of road rash all, all over his body that you get from quote unquote landing his 1970s era parachute without even so much as a protective sock covering his exposed <laughs> nether regions. I was going to say, right, uh, maybe parts of him were <laughs> twisting in the air. Uh, yeah, it could be. Apparently, the system is so good that pilots can maintain inverted level flight while wearing blackout goggles. And in this article, there's a picture of him flying with blackout goggles upside down. As, I don't know how much you can actually learn from a photograph, but you know they were like, this is, this is Dr. Rupert Angus using the TSAS system flying upside down. And uh, when I read the title of this article, I, th- I really thought that this was going to be s- like some sort of streamer or pendulum in the cockpit, you know, like a naked dong in free fall. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done a naked skydive, but I imagine a wiener in free fall goes through various frequencies of vibration like i imagine it it probably starts off something like blowing across a piece of cellophane like a (laughs) and then it starts going and then like a womb 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 and then working its way back (laughs) seems extremely painful Wow, I think it really probably depends ever- on the size and the density of the air, the temperature. There's probably a lot of variables here. You're probably right. It sounds like the kind of thing that we might need more research on. Brett, have you ever done a naked skydive? And if no, will you do one and report back and tell me how it goes? What kind of frequencies <laughs> things were vibrating at? So I actually did want to do a naked skydive. Um, when I got back at a jumping, my, my home drop zone ultimate skydiving adventures in delta colorado um there's a good buddy of mine (laughs) that's right um joey my friend that just took me off uh my first cliffs in moab he actually has done several naked skydives i was on a few of those loads um i actually i think one maybe i was on the ground for this because uh i vividly remember not seeing any private uh parts but definitely some butt cheeks on a swoop. So I think I was on the ground for this, but we actually talked nice. about the the Colorado state record for a naked skydive is only like four people. So we there was a little bit of discussion at that drop zone that all it takes is five of us to get the Colorado state record. We just need to build around and uh, call it a day with our dongs out. So, Well, if you do that, please let me know. Are my assumptions correct about what happens to your dong and free fall? And also, listeners, if you've done a naked skydive, hit us up at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com and let us know if I'm on the right track. <laughs> but overall, I do think that uh, Dr. Rupert Angus's uh, addition to the world of specifically military uh, aviation has uh, been a, a pretty incredible uh, contribution. I mean, apparently this has been the kind of thing that's been adopted as just like standard kit for pilots. And, uh, I will attest for just using like an Apple watch, how valuable just like vibrational information is. Cause my Apple watch will give me, uh, vibrations for navigation. So like when a turn is coming up, it'll give you like a little and it's super subtle and you like don't even notice it at first. And then after a while you realize you're just getting this 
kind of like subconscious input. So I can see how that would be amazing while flying. And it seems like that'd be developing another sense, which is something that is always fascinating to me. You know, like just finding some other way to interact and read the world around you than just like the basic senses that we're all used to as humans. Do you, uh, how do you feel about low hanging fruit when it comes to a uh, pun about your off top? Hey man, we're already talking about dongs and free fall. Fruit doesn't get much lower than that. <laughs> I just feel like the stakes were really high for Angus. The stakes? <laughs> what? I thought you were gonna make a pun that made sense. I don't even get it. <laughs> it was a it was a meat pun. Oh, oh, the tube stakes. Yes, the tube stakes were high, Brett. <laughs> On that note, you could probably tell it's been a year since we've recorded. So, <laughs> what's on your content circuit, buddy? Uh, let's see. Um, you know, just one last thing about that off top. I do remember a really interesting Radio Lab podcast uh, where Dr. Oliver Sacks, he wrote a few books, uh, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Um, there was like a music, musicophilia book I I think was a Oliver Sacks book. He was like a, I don't know, psychologist or a neuro, neuro guy, psych, psychiatrist. I'm not sure exactly what his official qualifications were, but just this really prolific author and speaker. And he was really interested in the way pigeons navigated home with like a little piece of metal in their brains that would align themselves with magnetic north. And he wanted to sort of develop a sixth sense. And so he was carrying magnets around in his pocket and he thought that if he like did this for a long enough period of time he'd actually be able to get some sort of extra sense of uh directional north does that ring a bell to you at all yeah i do remember that i think we might have listened to that when we went on that snowboard trip to tahoe yeah that sounds familiar that's that's a similar concept this was way before apple watches yeah yeah that's really awesome i'd love to get like it'd be cool to be a neuroscientist and have access to the kind of information you need to make an experiment like that work. Cause that seems like a precursor to something like an Apple watch vibrating or, you know, a, a blowing across cellophane and free fall type of scenario. Well, you apparently have a sixth sense when you watch people fly, you just see uh, a red overlay over them. So that's, that's a pretty awesome skill, man. If you want to hear more about that, listen to the Fall Risk episode that I was on. Well, besides Fall Risk on my content circuit, um, let's see. I, I'm going to try to keep it brief, but I do have a lot to discuss. Uh, I watched a very disturbing but fantastic movie that the world's third contentologist recommended. Nick. Oh, man. I watched it, too. Let's chat about it. The Menu. Everybody has got to see The Menu. It is awesome. Definitely a content so what is, clearinghouse. What are your worthy. thoughts? Uh, I have one specific thought on it. It's it's my favorite type of bad scenario movie. It's the frog in boiling water scenario where you don't even realize you're in a bad scenario until it's way too late. It's like one of my favorite subgenres. Like we talked about the decline. Actually, you think you talked about the decline on this show a long time ago, and that's like exactly that type of story where. You don't even realize you're in a horror movie until it's way too late. There's no way out. And that's that's kind of what I how I felt about the menu. Oh, definitely. But I mean it it was just 
a great cast, great acting, great story, super unique, super original. Also felt like something that could really happen. Um, and all I'll say about it is I don't think I'll ever be able to eat a s'more again without thinking about that movie. Oh, you know what it reminds me of also is uh, Midsummer. Have you oh, seen Midsummer? Yeah, that you recommended that to me, and that was absolutely twisted. Yeah, it's the same thing like at the end of Midsummer, where you have that same kind of thought, like I won't be able to look at bears the same way ever again. And then yeah, the s'mores very similar in the menu. Oh man, I loved it. Um, let's see. In terms of shows, I kind of traded in my uh, my MCU uh, kick for some Star Wars. Getting back to some classic uh, childhood loves. Uh, I've been watching Book of Boba Fett. Finished that. Uh, Endor, I thought was top notch. Um, so I'm moving on to Kenobi. Um, I'm also rewatching nice. Silicon Valley. That's a great show on HBO. Um, I just finished season eight of Love Island UK edition. It's like over 60 Gross. episodes long. <laughs> I've learned so much British banter. I really hope that I run into Rusty soon so I can ask that geezer if he's I. You can speak his language finally. You know, English. <laughs> um, I've read a couple of books since we last chatted. Uh, the Silent Patient. I'm reading Breath by James Nestor, which is really interesting. I'm now taping my mouth when i go to sleep so that's a little fun fact about me yeah actually i just saw something an ad on social media of some sort it was like i think they call it like hostage tape or something but it was some sort of mouth tape for when you're asleep like what's the what's the point of taping your mouth because is the second time i've heard about this uh essentially the last like few the, days yeah the thesis of the book is that Breathing through your nose is significantly better than breathing through your mouth. Like that's that's kind of it in a nutshell, but it goes way into how humans have evolved and how our mouths have shrunk. Like apparently uh, humans before like 300 years ago, we all had perfectly straight teeth because our jaws were developing and there's all these, I mean, all over the world, all these cultures were training their you know, they were like training each other generation after generation to breathe through their nose because it moistens the air, it warms the air before it gets to your lungs. And they all had these like, I wouldn't say superstitions, but they, they're like, oh, like breathing through your mouth is like bad air. It's evil air. We're talking Chinese to the Native Americans. Like this was a global like wisdom. And we've kind of lost that wisdom. We've, we've also lost a lot of our jaw mus uh, musculature that that started during the industrial revolution. We had these really soft foods. And so we stopped like chewing as much. And we also, because our brains became so developed and our speech became really developed, like the, the shape of our throats and our mouths and all these things started to change. Um, but you know, this, the guy that wrote the book, he's like studying these, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what he calls them, but it's, it's like these, pulmonologists are like the, they're basically people that are experimenting with breath and they're training themselves you know they, they could be free divers or they could be scientists but essentially um i'm just trying to breathe through my nose as much as i can and there's a lot of correlation with like major health issues and breathing through your mouth all the time like people that have like stuffed up noses a lot also have like all these other uh health problems that 
you know, allegedly, according to this book, a lot of them could possibly be related to mouth breathing. I think anyone who's ever mocked a doofus knows you don't want to be a mouth breather. So it's interesting to hear that there's some scientific research that backs that up. There really is. Um, I mean, it's, it's, pretty, actually, it's pretty wild. I've flown with someone in the tunnel that was experimenting with something like this, and he was taping his mouth while he was flying, but I never got like a description or explanation of exactly why he was doing that, but it sounds like this is why. That's really interesting. Man, that's crazy. You know, I think they were called pulmonauts. That's what it was, like an astronaut of like breathing air, a pulmonaut. Seems like a real low barrier for entry. Yeah, man. Just close your mouth. All you gotta do is breathe air. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's uh, probably not quite a year's worth of content circuit, but sounds like you've at least been burning through it at a rate that I can appreciate a person who never stops consuming content. Oh, I'm never going to stop. It's I treat it like it's my full-time job that uh, Harvard bestowed upon me. Oh, my God. Yeah, I forgot that we went to Harvard. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, is that it? You got anything else that you, uh, uh, that's, you want to discuss? Oh, that's pretty much it. You covered Fall Risk. We'll plug it one more time. Great show. <laughs> How about you? What's fall on Risk, your con- wherever you get podcasts. <laughs> um, so... Man, I've been going on like a binge of HBO series. Um, I watched all of Deadwood, and then I just finished six seasons of Oz. And man, talk about dongs. If you want to see dongs of a bunch of famous people that you've seen in other shows now, go watch Oz. Pretty much everybody does full frontal in it. It's crazy. It's so... (laughs) Specifically, the guy... If you've ever watched uh, SVU... Uh, Law and Order SVU, Elliot uh, Stabler, who's like special victims unit. I think I've seen a few episodes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, the the main guy is Elliot Stabler, and he plays uh, Chris Keller. He's like a prisoner in that. He is just like nonstop dong in that show, and it's crazy because he seems just like so upstanding. He's like he's like the good cop and everything in a SVU, and then in Oz, he's like this horrible rapist guy that's in prison and he's always naked so if that's your thing check out oz other than all that though oz is really (laughs) awesome it's it's like it's so compelling and it seems like the worst prison to ever end up in uh you definitely know how to sell a show to me buddy yeah you know that's what i do here i went to harvard (laughs) so um I've also been watching uh, The Last of Us on HBO, which is based on a game that we covered on this show. I'd like to thank the Content Clearinghouse for bringing uh, worldwide notice and acclaim to The Last of Us. Pretty sure that's why everybody loved it so much, because we covered it here. But uh, it's the it's the game with the fungus zombies, where they get cordyceps fungus in their head, and it blooms out of their brain. And the show is definitely like the greatest video game adaptation of all time. It's just amazing. Like I can never get enough zombie stuff. And so seeing one of my favorite games ever adapted by HBO was a total dream come true. And that's right in the middle of its release schedule right now. So if you haven't watched the last of us on HBO, definitely check that out, buddy. You know, I've been hearing a lot about that show. It's like widely, uh, well received and, um, I never played the video game. You you know that I my travel lifestyle has 
kept me from gaming the way we used to back in the day, but uh, I'll definitely check that out. You know I love a good zombie piece of content. Well, it sounds like with your travel schedule, you need to get yourself a Steam Deck. This show is not sponsored by Steam Deck, but I do love my Steam Deck. (laughs) All right, well, uh, on that note, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll get into the content. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Brett, I know, I can see it on your face that you can just barely contain your excitement for what you're going to be talking about. So, what do you got? Josh. Brett looks like he's going to explode. (laughs) Multiversal content is all around us lately, and for good reason. The idea that multiple whole universes exist somewhere beyond our observable universe isn't just great fodder for fiction and entertainment. It is actually a very real theory in science. So before we get into my content recommendation, uh, it's a thrilling science fiction book that explores the potential ramifications of this real scientific theory. Let's talk a little bit about the multiverse theory. I am, after all, a bit of an expert after skimming a few websites and watching a few YouTube videos on the subject. (laughs) Multiversologist. (laughs) Exactly. And I, you know, I don't think Harvard is quite ready to hand me another PhD this time in multiversology. Uh, Well, they never really handed us the first one. So (laughs) it's amazing what you can do with a little Photoshop. Yeah. And just lying. (laughs) So we all know we exist on a planet. We're in a solar system. It's in the Milky Way galaxy. Um, Our galaxy is just one of an estimated 100 to 200 billion galaxies that make up the observable oh universe. God. There's so much out there, buddy. It's There's insane. So, much. <laughs> so it's there could be there could be alien life forms naked skydiving on God knows what sort of planet out there. Wow, wonder what kind of cellophane that sounds like. <laughs> Now, we also know that this universe that we exist in is expanding. So scientists, they took what they know, they traced it back to about 14 billion years ago to the universe's origin story. And uh, that's where everything began, of course, at a single point, the Big Bang Theory. And thank goodness that we... The show? I I was going to (laughs) say that I'm very glad that we decided to pay homage to... The very significant event, The Big Bang Theory, with the laugh track-filled sitcom, The Big Bang Theory. I'm glad I stepped on your joke. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, where would we be without Jim Parsons playing Sheldon? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I've never watched it once, so I'd be in the exact same place. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's really good, actually, is... uh, there's a YouTube video out there. It kind of reminds me of, I was just talking about this, uh, Garfield without Garfield. Oh, is, yeah. It's just like this whole, it's it's way funnier than Garfield. Well, there's the so Big Bang it, Theory. So sad and disturbing. <laughs> Very, John is such a sad guy. Um, oh, my God. That's why, that's why it's so relatable. <laughs> no, the, <laughs> <laughs> the Big Bang Theory without a laugh track there that's on youtube it's like a whole youtube channel oh i bet it sucks so hard <laughs> there's nothing funny about the show they they have to have the laugh track yeah so- <laughs> it's depressing if you want to if you want to be sad watch that so back to the uh, og big bang theory uh there there's actually significant problems with the big bang theory apparently and Uh, To fill in those information gaps, another theory was developed called 
the inflation theory. And inflation is not just hitting our wallets hard. It's been affecting the universe since 1990 forever ago. (laughs) (laughs) Many, Many cosmologists believe the inflation theory is a natural extension of the Big Bang theory and that there aren't just... There isn't just one universe, but there's actually all these different bubbles or pockets of universes and potentially multitudes of universes. So apparently this rapid expansion gives rise to eternal inflation, and this could potentially create a literal ocean of individual universes with each universe having its own law of existence or natural phenomenons or unique physical forces. But to make things weirder, You throw quantum physics into the mix, and at this point, scientists realized certain particles behave very weirdly and actually change their behavior depending on whether or not there is an observer. It never really fails to... Quantum physics never helps you understand anything (laughs) any better. (laughs) It always makes it more confusing. It sounds so good, though, when you're talking about, like, a new piece of technology, like, oh yeah, this is the, the... quantum processor and (laughs) i just think it's so crazy like they talk about like at the quantum level everything is like 99.99999 percent open or empty space it's so crazy like to think about like a table is hard because of a certain vibration of the the quantum particles it's just like when i start thinking about stuff like that it's just it's so hard to if I can't just tune that kind of information out of my mind, it's so hard to just look at the everyday world in a in a normal way. I just feel like I'm always thinking about how those laws start breaking down. Everything just starts dematerializing at the quantum level. Well, what's 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 interesting is uh, this double slit experiment. So I do I feel like this is relevant to the piece of content I'm talking to. So. Uh, and, and this is something so bizarre that they really can't explain, but it's it's been observed. So, so essentially we shoot a particle through two slits and we watch the pattern that emerges on the other side. So it's one particle at a time, two slits. We do this over and over, and what do we see on the other side of the two slits? It's the same pattern that you'd get if you had shot like waves through instead of particles because these two waves would go through the slits and they'd interact with each other. So it, it's a, an essentially straightforward experiment, but it brings us to this conclusion that the particle is somehow interacting with itself, like a wave of possibilities. So is it going through both of the slits simultaneously, or maybe it's going through neither of the slits? Like They tried to figure out what is happening with that specific particle when they fire it through the slits, by observing the two slits, and with that very same experiment, the wave function collapses, and the particle suddenly acts like a normal particle, producing a completely different pattern on the other side. So literally, just two slit-like patterns on the other side start emerging, as you'd expect if you shot like BBs through, instead of these tiny subatomic particles. So the act isn't this like the observer principle or something in quantum? Yeah. Like as soon as you yeah, as soon as you observe something, you change the way it reacts exactly but by observing this particle somehow for some reason it forces the particle to decide if you want to use that terminology it it picks a path instead of being this wave of possibilities and and this this famous experiment 
the subsequent Schrodinger's cat thought experiment, it, it's sort of the backbone to the many worlds interpretation of the multiverse theory. And in, in the many worlds interpretation, it, it, we live in a reality of infinite possibilities, waves, but by being observers, we are forcing those wave functions to collapse into the reality that we know. But just around some dimensional corner, if you will, there's another very similar universe where things are almost the same, but some other slightly different possibility has occurred. And then next to that universe is, again, another slightly different universe. And again and again, an infinite number of times. So basically every possibility that could exist somewhere and that all those possible outcomes of this uh, universe are existing in some other world or some other universe. And that brings us to my book recommendation for this episode, Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. Oh, nice. I do love some Blake Crouch. And I will be, uh, I will be up front. I've, I have started this book. I'm about halfway through it. So I'm happy um, to hear that. There's yeah. probably s- some stuff that you're going to talk about that I haven't got to, but I do have a, a little bit of frame of reference on uh, where you're going with this. Yeah, I actually did try to keep this episode mostly spoil- spoiler-free, but we'll we'll see how much we get into it, because I definitely am curious to hear your thoughts and, and where you're at in the book so far. Um, but before we get into it, a little background. It's about, hard to talk uh-huh. about... Well, it's hard to talk about something that you love. This has always been a problem in this show. Something that you love, that you want other people to consume without giving away part of it. Because a lot of the things from stories that I love, there are like specific story elements or something that sets this book or this piece of content apart from other things that to me makes it valuable. And so like my kind of my theory on this show has always been if it's going to make the content more appealing, I say you just go ahead and spoil part of it because that's I've, – I've had that done to me with content. I do that when I tell other people about content, and I don't think that uh, there are typically any complaints because usually with something like this, it's such an expansive story, and there's so much to it that just you know talking about a few little details here and there doesn't really ruin it, at least not in my mind. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, it is a little bit of a tricky gray area. Um, you know, the the menu was a great example of going into a movie almost completely cold. Um, I had seen like the title screen and then heard it was disturbing. And that was all that I knew yeah. about it. And I loved having absolutely no context or information at all. And then like in contrast, I know that you specifically have said getting spoilers doesn't uh, ruin content for you. And I, I remember you talking about actually reading the synopsis of like a new movie that's come out before you go and watch the movie. That to me seems crazy. Like you're, you're like, you'll like completely read like the most dumbed down basic version of all of the like twists and turns and plot points before you go see it live. And like that, that's like the far end of the spectrum. I don't like being surprised or scared, <laughs> but no, there is certain content. I guess if we're talking like M night Shyamalan movie. Yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> want it ruined. Cause it's really only good that one time and something like the menu. I think there are pieces of content that are better to go into with nothing, but I think those are few and far between. Cause it's like, if there's like a Marvel movie, you know, I'm going for the spectacle. And so having spoilers and something like that doesn't bother me. 
But like this book is so big and so expansive. There's so much to it and it's so complicated that I don't think that it's going to be a problem because, you know, if there is a twist at the end or something, as long as that's not being revealed, it wouldn't bother me. Yeah, I feel like there's several twists and turns and I won't get into um, any of those. Um, but, you know, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, I, I do feel like he ruined a few of his own movies without your help. So he's got by directing them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so a little background about Blake Crouch. Um, he actually lives in Colorado in Durango. So I had to do a little shout out to Colorado since we're both Colorado boys. I thought you were going to say you stalked him. Right. I I don't know exactly where he lives. Um, but but if you did, you'd out. reveal it on this show. <laughs> 100%. So he's written several other books, including a popular trilogy series, which I read years ago. And I really enjoyed it. It's called uh, Wayward Pines. And it was actually... So good. Oh, so good, right? It was actually adapted into a TV show. And I haven't seen the show, but I really enjoyed the books. Uh, he's... written and released several other books uh one of them is definitely on my list it's called recursion it came after the book that i'm talking about dark matter and it explores some similar themes Uh, apparently it was very well received so i haven't read it yet but I'm, i'm putting it on the list for sure so dark matter it was published in 2016 in my opinion it's a real effing page turner. Uh, definitely qualifies as a and science fiction. And effing stands for what exactly? <laughs> Fudgin. <laughs> oh, weird. All right. <laughs> um, it definitely qualifies as I guess. I guess living in uh, my dad and stepmom's place in Florida temporarily. I, I, uh, I just don't know if I want to say a Mormon right now. I mean, they're they're sleeping. It's it's almost 11 o'clock at night but you know it's just uh, it's just house rules less f-bombs yeah <laughs> you'll set off the f-bomb f-bomb alarm wake them up from their slumber yeah. so so the, this book is kind of um classified as a science fiction thriller i i think it you know that's an apt description um in my opinion it definitely emphasizes the thriller which is something i really like and again I'm not going to go too in-depth regarding spoilers, but I, I, I will have to spoil a few parts of the story. But nothing that you wouldn't figure out on your own early on. I think reading the synopsis of the book actually spoils the same things I'm going to spoil. So I'm going to try to leave out some of the uh, major twists that this takes you on. So the story itself revolves around Jason Dessen. He's a college professor who lives in Chicago with his wife and son. He ends up going to this sort of after party for one of his former colleagues. Uh, he's definitely reluctant. I think there's a little bit of envy, maybe, for his friend's scientific accomplishments. And it's, it's kind of like, a like that could have been me getting this award had I focused on my career instead of a family. Um, but it's clear he's like a family man. He loves his wife. He loves his son. Um, But his wife kind of encourages him to go out to this event. And he goes, and while heading home after a few drinks at the bar, uh, he is immediately abducted. He's drugged, and he's taken to some sort of, like, abandoned, decrepit lab. And one of the spoilers I'm going to throw out there is, it's not that hard to figure out. Jason feels like there is something really familiar about his abductor. His voice is familiar. He 
uh, the abductor also knows a lot about Jason. And without knowing anything about this book, I was like, oh, this is some other version of Jason. And I was right. (laughs) I got it too immediately. I think you're supposed to figure that out. We've met like basically three, four characters so far. So it was kind of easy pickings. I feel like you'd have to be dumb to, to not see that coming. But he has to be a real mouth breather. <laughs> exactly. Uh, ever since I started taping up my mouth at night to sleep, I feel like I'm really uh, up in my content Better at reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can now. It was so hard for me before. Oh, man. <laughs> so distracted by all that air rushing over your tongue. <laughs> and the other parts of me, too, on my skydiving expeditions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's that sound like again? (laughs) Um, So something I really love about this book, the action just swept me away, like in the first dozen pages. I mean, there's not much of a wait before things ramp up rapidly. So Jason wakes up to all these people in hazmat suits and they're all like welcoming him back. They're super excited to talk to him and... Uh, you know, they all know who he is, and he's like, I don't recognize any of these mofos or mother fudgers, if you will, at all. Like he He's definitely disoriented, and at first, like, you kind of get this unreliable narrator vibe, which I know is a storytelling device that you really like. Um, if this story had started with the abduction or him waking up in this fancy lab with all these strangers applauding Jason, I feel like as a reader, I would have felt really disoriented and confused, but I don't think that's what the author was going for. Cause with the context of how things started, you know, he's, you know, at home, he's enjoying a glass of wine. He's at home with the fam. Like you definitely realize Jason is just this normal guy living his life. And then all of a sudden it's like the shit is hitting the fan. Uh, One of the parts, the shoot uh, (laughs) is hitting the fan, please. Oh, (laughs) you're living with your dad. Oh my gosh. I, I th- okay, no, the I, the detector did not go off. That was a close call. <laughs> <laughs> it only detects F-bombs. I'm so glad I'm wearing headphones and they can't hear the buzzing sound <laughs> of the cellophane penis. That's acceptable to say. <laughs> That's yeah. just simple anatomy. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to go off for medical terms. <laughs> so one of the parts here... Um, after Jason's abduction, when when he's waking up um, and he's like in the situation where everyone recognizes him, uh, I, I think it's really funny because he wonders for a moment if this is some sort of elaborate prank, and the ridiculousness of of that that he you know, he was abducted at gunpoint, he was beaten up, like that would be a pretty messed up prank to pull on somebody. But worst be- surprise party ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But I mean, being in that situation, like I can definitely imagine that your mind would try to make sense of things and any sort of rationalization to explain what's happening would probably happen that way. So it seemed very realistic to me that Jason would wonder, like, is this some kind of like screwed up joke that that people are pulling on me? But pretty quickly, yeah, first thing you try to do would be rationalize it away. I think like, I think that's like a probably a poorly developed survival instinct. The humans definitely have. definitely yeah and and pretty quickly we we realize jason is somewhere that isn't home 
I mean, he ends up back in Chicago, but it isn't his Chicago. He ends up escaping the lab, back at his house, but it isn't his house. Uh, It's essentially like this bachelor pad where his house used to be. There's no wife, there's no kids, just a fancy ass, uh, excuse me, uh, fancy bottomed empty house. (laughs) His wife was off wailing. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. With the, uh, what was it it called? The, The don't come home. While he's away. (laughs) <laughs> don't come home. <laughs> what was it? I forgot the name of it. What, the dildo? Yeah. It's a while he's away. The while he's away. called a while he's away. <laughs> For some women, it was probably the don't come he home. He pulls it out, he dusts it off. <laughs> Nothing better to do. <laughs> uh, it's a different book you're reading. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you Mine know. Mine didn't have a whole lot of words, the book I was reading. <laughs> just a lot of photos exactly so so i'm sure you know where this is going i mean the 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 first jump um from one universe to another parallel universe where a different jason existed um again i'm not going to go too much further into the plot because i really really liked this book i want our listeners to check it out so i don't want to spoil too much i do however want to talk about the box have you gotten to the box yet oh yeah Oh, I love it. So this this multiverse traveling device, uh, it's like a metal room with thick walls. And the mechanism isn't explained super in depth. But the idea, I think, is that he's created this environment where there's no quantum wave function collapse because there's no observer. Now, of course, you have the observer. This is the most fascinating part to me. Oh, dude, I... You and me both. So you have observer or observers inside the box that want to travel to different universes. But the remedy to that issue is this intravenous psychedelic drug that then switches off the observer part of uh, the traveler's brain. So in the physics of this world, Blake Crouch created in Dark Matter, there's some part of our consciousness of our minds that's creating our reality or making our reality concrete. And every little decision creates another branch off from that universe ad infinitum. And this is, again, this is like, I, I you know, I read the, uh, the uh, I don't know what you call it, the afterword. Or, it's, like he discusses his process in writing the book at the end of the book. And he, like, worked with, uh, I think, like, a theoretical physics professor or something like that. Like, he definitely consulted expertise because he wanted to get the science, like, somewhat in line with the multiverse theory or the many worlds theory, which I think is really cool. And I, I do think it shows, like, it at least it feels grounded in, like, the possibility in physics, like, what these people are thinking about. I don't really know. I'm not an expert. I just watched some YouTube videos. <laughs> Research. <laughs> so to access these different universes, you get in the box, you seal up the door, you take a hefty dose of multiverse travel juice, and then this metal <laughs> box, it opens up into this like never-ending hallway of metal doors. And they all these doors open up to different universes. Really cool concept. Something that this reminded me of is standing in between two mirrors facing each other. Like, that always tripped me Mm. out as a kid. 
And it, it kind of still does to this day as an adult. Like, I love that freaky feeling of looking left and right and seeing this, like, endless repetition of my hands. You know what's crazy, too, about that is every single one of those that I've ever seen has been, even if the mirrors are perfectly parallel to each other, as the reflection goes infinitely, that starts to curve. Like, I remember the ones that I would look that I looked at uh it would like start to curve up and it would seem like those reflections that are further and further away are higher and higher. So it wouldn't just seem like I was looking straight down something. There was always like some sort of angle to it. And it might be because the mirrors are not actually perfectly parallel. And then as it, as the light is reflected infinitely, like those imperceptible shifts in the wall start becoming more and more perceptible. Like that just occurred to me that that might be what it is, but that was the thing about that type of mirror illusion that always freaked me out. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know, like, if the mirrors were perfectly parallel, if you could even see, like, your face, because your head, I feel like, would get in the way. But you could put your hand out, and you could see, you know, an endless repetition of your hands. You know, there, there was a really cool scene like this in uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, where Rey goes into that cave, and she sees herself reflected into infinity i don't know this is this is what it reminded me of in, in the box you don't see like yourself infinitely re repeated you just see these infinite doorways but all these doorways are passageways into unknown worlds and it just you know they talk about like uh again a little bit of a spoiler there's like another jason that like wanders by them at one point and he's just like he's just like disheveled and he, I can't remember if he's like older he might be older he might just be you know it looks like somebody that had just like come like stumbled out of like not a fun world to be in and he's like just like doesn't even look at them doesn't even say anything he's just like I can't remember if he was like screaming too but oh man it was definitely one of the books that gave me like a real horror vibe yeah Do, could he even see them or was it just he was out of it I think he was just out of it. I think he could have seen them. Like they were just like, oh, like like that's a really like traumatized version of me that's like seen shit and just walked on. Excuse me, seen some stuff and just like Seeing stumbled shoot. on by. <laughs> yeah, this book get, definitely gave me the feeling that it's really hard to get it right in a world like most of these instances are total hell holes. Oh, yeah. Well, before Jason and his co-travelers really know, like, know the mechanics of how this multi multiversal travel works, they stumble into some extremely dangerous and disturbing worlds. Um, I loved this book's world-building scenes where they step out into the unknown only to find themselves in a frigid world of ice and snow and some other parallel Chicago. Um, one of the ones that, like, Again, it kind of haunted me. It was like this disease-ridden world where he found oh, yeah. other versions of his loved ones and they were either dead or in like some sort of like rapid decline. Ugh. I bet it was haunting. fun from a uh, a world-building perspective to be able to make all these little vignettes of the world that you're uh, that you're writing about. I feel like Blake Crouch, like this is a specialty of his, like I like Wayward Pines. I feel like it's been so many years since I've read that book and I can like kind of picture this like cute little town in Idaho and I could like picture it was it was a very vivid 
uh, book for me. And the same thing happened with Dark Matter. Like I felt like he really, really did a great job with that world building. And again, yeah, like, like that sense of place. Yeah, and the, and those scenes, like they, it was like straight out of a horror movie. And I, I love when a book can actually give me physiological symptoms of fear. Like I'm. I'm, like sometimes I'm like I'm getting scared by words in my imagination. Like that is an <laughs> awesome feeling. It is cool. It's almost like like a really well written book can make you hallucinate fear almost. Because I feel exactly. like reading reading is like one of the closest types of like telekinesis content that we have. Because you can really someone can really. I can accept an idea and place it into your mind just with well-crafted economy of words and good descriptors. And I, I feel like with reading, it's, I don't know, it may be like as far as like overall content consumption, like one of the lowest, uh, you know, one that the fewest people participate in. So much harder to read a book than it is to like watch a movie or something. But I mean, there's a reason people say the book is better than the movie because always, always, always your mind is going to feed you up something better than what anyone can put on screen. Yeah, unless you're one of those people that can't picture images or they can't imagine images. Have you have you heard about that? No, but I imagine they're probably not much of a reader if they have that problem. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't read for pleasure if you couldn't like, use your imagination for things i would imagine they probably love all they're like oh, oh my yeah. god harry potter was way better than the books you're right uh <laughs> the books are just stupid lines on a page boring <laughs> so another thing that this book does really well is it incorporates other genres that uh myself and i think readers in general really enjoy so I mean, this isn't just a sci-fi thriller. Um, I'd also say that this is a really romantic story about love and family. Like, it has a lot of heart. Uh, when doing research for this episode, I found that this book has a lot of mainstream appeal. It was, it was really well-received by people that don't necessarily stick to just science fiction. Like, I think you and I are, uh, you know, clearly more in the sci-fi fan category. I like hard sci-fi, and that, that's why I found the part about uh, the inner workings of the box to be so awesome, because that was probably the closest this book got to like any kind of hard sci-fi, but they really went in a lot of detail about like how that drug works, and you know, even though he didn't ex understand exactly how the box works, and n nobody really knew exactly, they went into a lot of the theory and everything of like multiple universes and the quantum world and i thought that was all really awesome stuff yeah it was super well executed um you know i actually listened to a book club podcast episode about dark matter and it was these two women who read the book that had like absolutely no interest in the sci-fi genre um it was funny they they talk about multiverses and quantum physics and parallel worlds and they're just like it confused the hell out of them. Uh, one of the readers actually... Get back to the uh, part where the main character touches tongues with some other character. <laughs> they, they, so one of them like, thought that the, when they imagined the box, they said they imagined a cardboard box lined with tinfoil. That's what they said they oh imagined. Oh my god. This like, is one of those people that can't form pictures in their brain. <laughs> like 
they also um, kind of said like, I like I don't read a lot of sci-fi, but I imagine that the this uh, like cardboard tinfoil tinfoil lined box like took off and landed because it was going to different places. But then he said <laughs> oh like God. other dimensions, and my I I just sort of glaze over when I hear any sort of science talk, and I was like, oh my God, this is painful. But you know the interesting the. Po- <laughs> Seems weird that a person who has a book club podcast doesn't understand how books work. <laughs> but the point I'm making, though, is that they like have no interest in this genre, but they still really enjoyed the book because of the relationship between Jason and his wife Daniela, and then like the you know original Jason and abduction Jason, and like the these two podcasters actually picked up a lot of interpersonal dynamics and emotional storylines that were not things that stood out to me because i like you super into the sci-fi aspect of the story but i I think it's also a great like romance story it it honestly really is the love island of books (laughs) sure we'll go with that (laughs) so I, i really think there's a lot of fun here for any sort of reader, someone that enjoys any genre. Um, and this is something that I think, like I said, Blake Crouch does really well. Wayward Pines, perfect example. It's a sort of crime mystery detective story. And when I read that book, I, it actually wasn't until a big twist in there, like three quarters of the way into the book, I was like, oh, this is actually a sci-fi. Uh, yeah, cabin in the Woods. You don't want that twist spoiled. That's a no, good I... one to, yeah, to not be spoiled. That is, yeah, um, Cabin in the Woods. I, I always think of that mm-hmm. movie as you're like, this is a horror movie until a big reveal, and you're like, oh, this is actually a sci-fi. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> genre blending is like one of the greatest shortcuts to making best content ever. Totally. And that's, I mean, you have in Dark Matter, it's definitely a sci-fi, but I found it to be exceptionally thrilling, had a lot of horror-esque moments, um, but... I finished it and realized like this is a really romantic story about family and trying to get home somehow or another. Uh, Another reason I would recommend this book is because I know that we all wonder about the parallel paths that we could have taken in life. Like what if I took that other job or what if I prioritized my career and my work over relationships? Now those sorts of questions that arise from this idea that there may be parallel universes uh it's a really popular exploration and entertainment some of the big budget blockbusters tackling this that immediately come to mind you got doctor strange in the multiverse of madness it's in the name uh you got spider-man no way home now these two mcu movies in conjunction with the disney plus series loki and the animated what if they're setting us up for the next few phases in the mcu called the multiversal saga multiverse is shit hot right now and i can say that because i don't live in florida it is shoot hot buddy war is heck you remember we've been oh yeah we've been trading heck for hell for a real long time now yep war is heck that sounds Uh, rough so uh speaking of spider-man on our show we've talked about one of the greatest films to ever grace our eyeballs is spider-man into the spider-verse which i'm again going to recommend if you have eye holes and your ear holes, which I assume you do if you're listening to the show, you need to put They're Spider-Man... to it in Braille. <laughs> That's amazing. That's some genre-blending <laughs> entertainment right there. <laughs> <laughs> genre-blending. 
I mean, you if you haven't seen Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, put those in your respective holes. You <laughs> What's wrong it. with you also? <laughs> so other content which jumps into multiverse exploration, we got Star Trek, Doctor Who, Russian Doll on Netflix, uh, His Dark Materials, which is based on some pretty awesome books I read as a kid, The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife and the Amber Spyglass. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty, well-loved animated series. It's created by Dan Harmon, who also explored some multiverse storytelling in another one of his shows with the cult following Community. Uh, Rick and Morty definitely dives deeply into the idea of infinite universes and the possibility of jumping between them using a portal gun, which is like one of the most coveted pieces of technology in that fictional universe. A show with like tons of awesome sci-fi tech. Uh, Event Horizon is a classic about parallel realities. Oh yeah, uh, Donnie Darko. Would you throw that in there? It's been a long time mm. since I've seen that. I'm pretty sure there's a parallel universe. I haven't seen it in a that. long time. Okay, and I'm not sure I even understood it when I watched it. I always like that movie is definitely like it's really cool, but it's like a style over substance movie for sure. It's pretty stylish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another classic that I've heard Dark Matter compared to is Sliders, the 90s TV series. And Quantum Leap also sort of comes to mind. Again, I only like have seen a few episodes of Sliders and Quantum Leap, but, you know, I, I, I can see uh, some of the similarities. Um, oh. Why do oh. you think this <clears throat> is so popular then? Do you think this is like specifically because people are obsessed with like a way to right the wrongs of their life or like as an escape from like the doldrums of what people view as like their normal life do you think it has anything to do with why this concept is so popular you know i have wondered that myself um i do feel like our brains are possibility simulators like i think that what gives humans a major advantage and it kind of is in conjunction with the ability to communicate, to work together in large groups and to work towards a common goal, even having like very different backgrounds or very different values. Like, like we can conjure up scenarios in our brain. Like this is like, it, it obviously has some bad attributes or some bad aspects to it. Like uh, catastrophizing, like, I hear all the time, like, people, you know, we jump to what would be the worst case scenario. I mean, this in flying, like, we make it a point to try to figure out, like, what worst case scenarios could be so we can plan better for it. Um, and maybe catastrophizing doesn't necessarily serve your daily life well uh, to, you know, actually, the the um, the Stoics would disagree with me. They actually have a practice where they imagine the worst things that could happen to make them grateful when it doesn't happen. I think, I think I got that right. But, um, you know, it's just human tendency to like sort of, uh, plan for the worst. And also, you know, we have like dreams and goals of things that might happen and that helps us plan. So like it has a bad aspect, but it's like one of the gifts of being a self-aware conscious species is that we could imagine things being different and we can maybe like guide our lives in accordance with, those plans, those goals, but then it, it can start to, 
uh, fade outwards and create like daydreaming or imagine like scenarios that would never happen. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. What do you think? Stress fantasies. Stress fantasies? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's... I think all that is... uh, It's like a gift of our mind, but also like the, the curse of consciousness. Because I think a lot of that revolves around, especially like, what did you call it? Like... Catastrophizing. Imagining the worst case. Yeah, like catastrophizing. I think that is like a... uh, a distinct thought process of, you know, conscious being that has a concept of its own mortality. Because if you can conceptualize those ideas ahead of time, then you can create ways to, you know, prevent yourself from dying some, some horrible scenario. But it's also so easy to get sucked in down that hole, you know, and like get into like a spiral where you're just like obsessed over the worst possibilities and bring you down even though if nothing is actually happening so yeah i think i think it's a an amazing ability but also a curse like to if you get sucked into it but you think that has something to do with why like multiversal content is so popular right now i mean there's a little ability to catastrophize uh, maybe like i think it's all I, i think it's relatable because everybody can imagine their life turning out either slightly differently to very, very, you know, extremely differently um, because of our imaginations running wild. But there's a little like woo woo part of me that wonders if this is okay. So (laughs) stick with me here. I'm sort of uh, thinking this on the fly, but when it comes to things like UFOs, UAPs, like you and I have talked about it at length on the show and not on the show I think we both think that there is something visiting. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that. And there's like a little part of me that wonders if we have all this entertainment that explores those concepts to kind of like psychically or mentally prepare ourselves for the very real possibility that that's happening and maybe like prepare ourselves for disclosure. It's almost like like uh, like we want to explore the possibilities and, and use entertainment as a safe space to do that. And there's a, there's a little part of me that wonders if we are exploring these concepts or ideas because there might be like very real evidence to suggest that there is uh, a like some 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 uh, truth to these multiversal or even many worlds theories. I mean, I, I think they're still looking for like hard evidence, but. There's a lot of these theoretical physicists. They're very, very smart, and they're trying to put together, like, I, I don't know exactly how they can collect evidence for this, but, you know, some of it is, like, theoretical, and some of it is, like, they're actually building devices to look at electromagnetic, you know, and somehow tie that into some of these theories. I mean, the, the name of the book itself, Dark Matter, I know that comes from... Um, dark matter is a real thing. Like we, we detect something that's out there that there should be more stuff and we can't see it. Like it's, it's like gravity and what we know about gravity says there's a ton of mass out there that is completely invisible to us. So we're like, we know that there's more happening to reality that we don't understand. And so like, maybe we're exploring these things in self preparation. Is that a little yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. No, I think that totally makes sense. That's, 
I think anyone who's creating like high concept content like this is definitely imagining that like things like this could be a possibility you know it's like to to go so far down the rabbit hole and research it so intensely i think that you almost like couldn't even avoid that and then as a person that is creating content that way i also feel like you would hope it would have that impact on people that consumed it so i think that totally makes sense yeah you know um uh, a multiverse movie i have to throw out another recommendation for is everything everywhere all at once have you seen this i still need no i still need to see it oh my god it's amazing it's so good so it's a it's a surreal absurdist comedy drama it's it explores like existentialism nihilism uh generational trauma and also some chapstick eating um Mm. definitely definitely lots of like what the fuck moments and i i love thinking about a universe out there where i have giant sausage fingers (laughs) You mean what the fudge moments, right? Oh, oh man! I hear the alarm bells going off in some parallel universe. Florida talk. <laughs> so everything, everywhere, all at once. It was a recommendation from Tunnel OG Randy Ashley, whose recommendation to me basically consisted of, "Oh, you liked Spider-Man No Way Home, huh? Everything, everywhere, all at once did multiverse exploration so much better." And honestly, Randy wasn't wrong. Nice. I'll have to check that out for sure because uh, I've heard that re- repeatedly recommended. Yeah. Well, um, all these wonderful books, movies, shows, and more still leave plenty of room for more multiversal magnificence because, like the infinite universe, or maybe universes that we all reside in, there are infinite possibilities within the world of content to explore these wonderful ideas. And in this universe, in this moment, my favorite explanation of the multiverse concept is in the book Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. It is gripping, frightening, thought-provoking. It's also heartwarming. So check it out. Truly a literary achievement so great that it single-handedly made me want to spool up the content clearinghouse again just so I could get more people to read it. I mean, I read this sucker in like three work flights. Uh, So Josh, to wrap up, It's always fun to think about the possibilities in our own lives. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what do you think you would do if you had access to this multiversal uh, traveling device, this box? Would you go find an alternate universe where you have a little bit less pain in your back and steal that Josh's life (laughs) and eliminate eliminate him like the... uh, Jason number two does in uh, Dark Matter. Well, wouldn't I still have the same pain in my back even if I stole his life? (laughs) Well, you'd have to find just the right universe where everything was exactly the same, except this other Josh just had a little bit less injured back. (laughs) Yeah, but I'd have to take my back with me. I don't think a multi-universe would solve this problem. Well, maybe, but maybe they've invented like a back pain cure in this other universe. Oh man, yes, I'd go for that. But seriously, you did. I really, I really spoiler didn't alert me. I really didn't think that through. You're like, ah, get out of here. Oh wait, I still have an injured back. I still have, my back is part of my bo- my body. So you did spoiler alert me earlier when you you told me you're going to ask me this question. I've been thinking about it all day, and I think ultimately especially having only read the first half of this book, I don't think there's any way in hell that I would risk it 
But I think the re- the main reason why is because everything that makes up who we are, it's all a product of all of those places where the narrative could have branched. And the fact that we took each each choice, one direction or the other, it all created like who we are. And I feel like if you took the person I am now or who you are or anyone and you transplanted them into an alternate reality where things are maybe just a little different or maybe like wildly different, I feel like unless you were specifically looking to explore that, like that was your objective, it would be a serious problem and you would just want to get back to your life. And that is an idea that's explored in like every single bit of multiversal content I've ever seen. Every single character always wants to get back to where, where they came from because that's the set of scenarios and the set of problems and choices that are correct and incorrect that they're familiar with. And that familiarity is like, it's what really breeds our ability to function properly in the world. And I think going into even a slightly different world would be like such a culture shock for me. You know, I don't think that I would personally want to be a multiverso not. A multiverso not. Um, well, I feel like a real multiversologist after this episode. Mm. Yeah, there's probably a- at Harvard. <laughs> I'm working on it. One YouTube video at a time. <laughs> You know, there's a there's probably a universe out there where there's a devoutly Mormon Josh Evans. <laughs> well, that's all I got for you, buddy. Well, that was really awesome, and uh, I think like most content that is brought to the show. Like my favorite part about it is the deep dive discussions that we get to have about it. And that is truly fascinating thinking about the multiverse and thinking about like every, cause you really got me thinking today about like every little choice that led up to me being where I am today. And there are so many things about where I am that I love. And there are also so many choices, like an equal amount of choices that I wish I had done differently. And uh, that's one of the most interesting things about discussing content with someone is I don't, I don't know about, you know, reading that book if I would have gone directly down that Avenue on my own. So I think it's awesome that you brought that idea to me and that we could do this deep dive on the multiverse. So yes, I would also recommend this book, even though I have not finished it yet. I'm going to finish it. I'm nonstop consuming content. So it's like truly in my content circuit. I'm rotating between this, another book, and several TV shows, video games, all of it. So this is something that will be finished in due time for me. Um, nice. So thank you for all that, Brett. I love that this piece of content inspired you to want to bring the show back. And listeners, thank you all for sticking around for this entire last year and being here when we came back uh we are going to shoot for that one show a month and this show is a little long you know we might be making slightly oversized shows in the future as well so stay tuned for that thank you all so much we love you guys and uh 
tune in next month for another episode of the Content Clearinghouse.